0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Abram Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Forty years old. This is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruven Yeshua Pupko of Beth Israel Beth Aaron, Coat Saint Luke. A important little neighborhood. <laughs> right outside of Montreal, Quebec. Ravi right, Pupko, uh, obviously this thing is going to go on a long time. I mean, this is, as, as all the Ukrainians know, this, they're, they're in for the long haul. This story isn't going away. It isn't just the story of the week. Um, but I can't help but connect it uh, to, as today's is Rishchidosh to the story, of course, of Megillah Sester, the story of the uh, attempted mass annihilation of the whole Jewish people. And what I'm thinking about here is, and uh, maybe you could, you know, take, the, take these little uh, droplets or brekalach or crumbs and perhaps put it into something more solid, but I, I, I see a sort of a parallel. I mean, here we have, you know, you know, he had 127 uh, countries. Now, I don't know how big the exact geographical area was. Maybe these countries were like Luxembourg and Singapore. how
1: do we Kush?
0: Yes, yes. But but again, some of them were various sizes. Um, But but clearly there was a sense of 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 there. I mean, originally it was the actors that they seemed to be getting ready, you know, uh, to destroy the Jewish people. Uh, And it sounded like it could happen. It sounded like whatever Zoriastrian uh, capabilities they had that somehow to unify uh, all these countries uh and and uh, still seventy five thousand i I guess still showed up to 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 fight the battle, but what we definitely get a sense of in the Megillah is a world a a civilization Medinos uh, 'm and it sounds like they they could have been motivated and put together for nefarious reasons or for positive ones. Uh, and I think what everybody is so darn surprised about is that the Europe that you were talking about last week, that 19th century chaotic Europe where land grabs are going on and, 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 and feckless uh, would-be um, you know, uh, oligarchs or and, and, and sort of various types of personages who really don't know what they're doing, it sounds like you know Europe surprised everybody with... Uh, a unified response. And
1: so, so, listen, there's a couple of interpretations I think are available to us. Number one, I don't think it's necessarily incorrect to say that until the very last minute, Russians, Ukrainians, Europeans really didn't believe Putin was going to do this. There's no question that whatever we hear about from inside Russia is that the Russians certainly didn't believe it and the Ukrainians didn't believe it. The Americans believed it. The Americans kept saying it. But it really, in other words, the act is so outlandish and so beyond the pale that I think to the last minute, most harbored profound doubts whether he would actually cross the Rubicon, whether he would actually do it, Uh, Putin. Now, uh, so what I'm trying to explain with that is, you know, before... The incursion, you know, the Germans were saying we're not sending weapons. You know, the pipeline, we're not going to cut off. Then all of a sudden, things that government said they would never do, they did with a sense of urgency and commitment, which was breathtaking. It Means the Germans cut off the Nord the Nordstrom uh, the the, the Nordstream thing, and the uh, uh, and and for the first time, sending weapons uh, in, into the Ukraine, which they said they would never do. And more important than all of that. For the long term is they announced that finally, after 30 years of Americans, you know, m- 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 cajoling them to do so, they announced that they're they're going to spend 2% of their GDP on an army right now the German army is is in tatters I mean there's nothing there. And, uh, and they're going to finally restore their defense capabilities. I mean there's certain profound ironies here you know obviously historic ironies about who wants who to do what but uh, but. Uh, but the response from across Europe, across Europe, I mean, uh, NATO countries, non-NATO countries trying to send weapons into the Ukraine over the Polish border. People are talking about airdrops uh, and uh, is really quite, really quite remarkable. Um, so uh, as so you was, said, as you said, I think, you know, despite the fact
0: that, you know, Biden is um, displaying a lot of doddering senility, uh, it seems like, though, Biden and on this subject was pushing and explaining. Yes. his State Department, whether it was whether it was um, his, his Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, but they were actually sending information to Europe and pushing and explaining to them that this was imminent, that this was that pu- this wasn't just saber rattling. That right. Putin no, no,
1: there's no question. And, in the two months before they did a great job in rallying uh, the West very effectively. They took this interesting strategy of publicizing all the intelligence they had about what the Russians' plans were, which may have impeded, or I don't know, some, some of the things they were planning, the false flag operations or whatever. But the question here today, the question that's really on everybody's mind is how does this end? How does this end? There's no question. Uh, but
0: but aren't, aren't you surprised at the point that I was, again, I, I, again, you're a rabbi, we could say politics and Jewish don't mix, but the actus of of of, of the, all these countries uh, is is astonishing. Usually, we look at the European Union as uh, like like a co- completely fa- chaotic. Everybody just wants their own. I mean, you know, when is when is the Greek government falling? When's the Italian government falling? It's all it, it was, and that's the reason why Brexit occurred. So here and here they
1: are. Wow, here they are. You know showing... no, it's a remarkable moment in, in history. This certainly has has changed the world. It certainly has. Yeah, uh, I, I, I heard I, I
0: heard a great quote this morning, uh, and I have to say it was from the New York Times correspondent in Brussels, who was quoting Lenin. He says sometimes, what happens in a week, is really like decades have occurred.
1: Right.
0: And 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 this seems to be an example of that. That. Uh, that what happens here, and again, let me just again use a little bit of, you know, obviously this is a, a chazal that is quoted by all rabbis, the Gemara Megillah that says, may right. that, may that when the act of giving power to can now control our fate, which of course was then, we understood that we were in danger, and complete danger of annihilation, was more effective than All the prophecies of 48 prophets and seven prophetesses, and that's what does it. Uh, Realizing that this could happen, realizing that this could happen to you, realizing that what's going on can somehow push us together. So maybe we should take great, you know, uh, it should give us a tremendous boost of confidence of what
1: what, what the world is, is capable of doing. Right. Here's the thing. I mean, what's the wake up here? There's a bunch of wake ups here. Number one is that the West continues to be naive about what motivates other people, what motivates their adversaries. And whether it was whether it was Arab regimes or Putin today, there, or whether it's Iran, there's this idea that that which matters to us must matter to them. And just like everybody wants peace, prosperity, uh, that's what, you know, That's what must be what everybody wants and that people are motivated by enlightened, at best, enlightened self-interest, that ideology doesn't matter, that religion doesn't matter, that history doesn't matter. These things matter. And they matter in ways that determine the future. And what, what the West, whether it was George W. or Obama or Trump, they all thought that they could do business with Putin because ultimately, of course, he wants to be part of the West. Of course, he wants to be part of the system that has produced so much prosperity and freedom. Of course, that's what he would want. And no, that's not what he wanted. And no matter how brutal was his response in Chechnya when he leveled Grozny, no matter how brutal was his response in Syria when he leveled Aleppo, no matter what he's done to his own political dissidents inside the country or after they have left, or the bombings of the false flag operations when he was blowing up civilians in Moscow and blaming uh, the Chechnyans, whatever it was no matter how much brutality he engaged with, everybody, Merkel, everybody's thinking, oh, you know, we can do business with him, right? He's a normal guy. He's motivated by the stuff that motivates us. And the fact is, he's motivated by the history of the Russian Empire. He's motivated and triggered by the humiliation of the collapse of the Soviet Union, right? It, it, this stuff doesn't matter to him, uh, that ma- the stuff that matters to the Western leaders. and uh, and, and, and this continued mistake the West makes When they see others, the prism of their own lives and own ideas is, is, you know, is certainly one of the uh, one of the one of the major uh, changes in Western sensibility as they confront Putin in Ukraine. The question is, how does it end? I think Biden did a great job. I think one of the things he could have done better, two things he should have done better in the State of the Union and in policy is, number one, stop screaming what you're not going to do. Right. We all know the Americans aren't going to send soldiers to Ukraine, but this the emphasis on it's going a little too far. He thinks the American people are traumatized by Iraq and Afghanistan to the point that they need to be reassured at every moment that we're not sending troops to the Ukraine, to Ukraine. However, the other thing is, in the State of the Union address, just like the Germans did, the leftist run German government did, he should have announced an uptick in defense spending. He should have announced that we're here for the long term. We understand the world is not what we hoped it would be. And we need to confront adversaries in Asia and in Europe. And therefore, we need the capability to fight two wars at the same time, which we no longer have. We need a larger Navy. We need all this stuff now. And he should have announced major defense spending. And he didn't do that. So, um, but again, he, he's, he's in, the, in the main, he has performed remarkably better than anyone I right to expect. In terms of rallying the West and unifying the West, as you've said, but uh, he needs to stop advertising what we won't do, and he needs to uh, back up the rhetoric of defending freedom with uh, with a defense budget that's commensurate to the challenge.
0: Yeah, I, I did not hear the uh, the State of the Union, but I did get I did hear the clip where he did say that if there will be. An incursion into any inch of NATO territory that American troops would be on the ground, right, and they would be flying. fighting yeah, they, yeah. they would be fighting alongside their European counterparts uh, in nato and uh, look, you know you talked about the the unprecedented up until this point of Germany contributing i mean this was donald trump's uh you know that's what he was saying all those years. You guys have to contribute more, you guys right. have to be more involved and and it, again, as crazy as Trump was I mean Trump
1: said it more uh you know more uh how do i more bluntly than many, but American presidents have been saying it for a long time, but Trump was quite blunt, yes, and
0: that's go- and that now you will see that that's going to happen yeah. um yeah, look uh, the 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 idea of of an incursion into other nato countries that's that's and from your perspective that even if even if uh ukraine becomes a, a puppet state the incursion to another country that where that that's not on the horizon right this, the, the idea of 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 putin going into well if uh, he rec- is, countries
1: here's the thing we're all standing in awe watching the resistance of the ukrainian people and they do and zelensky what he did to rally the west and his speech from the bunker should never be underestimated but how long can they hold out? This heroic street resistance. How long can they hold out? In 1968 in Prague, the citizens came out and the tanks won. Um, you know, it, it's, it's hard to beat a tank. And, and the, uh, the question is, no matter how many you know, weapons they get uh, into the Ukraine, no matter how resilient is, is their spirit, no matter how courageous they are, do we really believe that if the Russians want to level the place, they're not going to level Of course,
0: Of course they will. And, so, then that, and that's why Biden, you know, was ridiculous in saying, you can bring your tanks, but the spirit of liberty is still going to be
1: there. Uh, that's a bunch of baloney because the I, true- I listen, you know, the Ukrainians don't have to win. It's just that they have to stop the, the Russians from winning. Um, and, and and in other words, to come up to some kind of stalemate. I, I don't I'm pessimistic about that. You know, maybe we'll be proven wrong. It just seems that the Russians are willing to commit enormous amount of power and resources there. But again, what happens the day after you put up a puppet regime? There'll be demonstrations in the streets forever. I don't understand what his end game is. He wants them to capitulate. He wants them to. What does he want them right, to but do? So,
0: so you, you agree that this isn't going to go into
1: Poland is part of the NATO alliance now. Correct? No, but the question is, if, if Putin is able which I which is everyone should be skeptical, to somehow pacify the Ukraine. Right? And I keep saying the Ukraine when I'm not I know, to. yes, yes. Pacify Ukraine. Uh if he's able to pacify Ukraine, will that just whet his appetite for Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia? Will it whet his appetite you know, uh, to, to think about because, uh, right because he could,
0: he could, I mean, he, he probably cannot uh, invoke the same historical connection that he did, but he could probably say that this was part of the great Soviet empire and then make the same sort of right. argument. Although I don't believe that there exist pockets of these Russian nationalists in those countries, right? I don't think so. So it would, be, it would be pretty hard to do that. And, 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 uh, as you said last time, I mean, uh, you know, there's, there's the Uk- Ukraine has you know uh, I think some of the richest fertile soil uh, in the world uh, I, I, we, on one of our programs, we had a, a professor uh, of history, a Russian professor of history, talk about the fact that you know <laughs> getting the ukraine isn 't just you say' it's, a lot of it is about nobility and pride and the old story of the glorious years of the past, but there are some uh, financial great financial benefits by the way, thirty
1: uh, percent of the wheat. That Israel imports thirty percent. It's from, from
0: Ukraine. Ukraine,
1: yeah. Right, fifty percent comes from Russia, but yeah.
0: Right. so you can see, you know, how how yeah. how incredibly fertile that area yeah. is. So having it, you know, would pay dividends in the
1: future. Um, yeah. So, uh, so again, let's let, let, let's put it in. Listen, perspective. we have to hope on a couple of things. the The fantasy hope is that his inner circle turns on him and they eliminate Putin. That's the fantasy that. The price that Russia has paid is much more severe than they imagined. Given the weak response in 2008 to what happened in Georgia and 2014 in Crimea <coughs> and in Donbass, they, the, Russia had every reason to expect that, yeah, they'll scream and yell for a while, but, you know, we'll be okay. Being that the response from the West at this moment seems much more severe and much more aggressive than Putin would have predicted. Um, so, uh so, the question is what is that um what what is in the price Russians have had to pay will continue to pay economically because of the sanctions whether that will trigger an anti Putin push inside the Kremlin who knows but um uh, uh, but that would be the fantasy hope. the other hope is that the ukrainians are able to hold out long enough that the Russians begin to pay a price that they're not willing to pay
0: yeah yeah I, I guess I'm again you know even though it's sort of like my neck of the woods for like I told you last week about where you know my our, 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 our spiritual intellectual connection my own family uh, you know was near there but but what I'm really much more impressed with the fact that Europeans understand that they're going to pay higher prices they have gone they realize this is going to be a big economic hit that uh, because the gas whatever, it's astronomical as it is, but the, the prices for gas and natural oil are going to balloon and they're ready to do that. And there's so much support uh, all across the board saying, yeah, we're gonna be macabre that, uh, and we're gonna to we're take it on the chin. And that's that to me shows a great resolve by you know, democratic, freedom-loving people throughout Europe. It really is, like I said, decades worth of evolution. And that makes, it makes again, you, you know, we talk about signs and I know you're not into signs and omens um, and things like that, but we Jews can't help, as you mentioned last week, uh, living in sort of like an, ex, an exological type of perspective. The, the fact that, you know, you know all, all these nations coming together even if it's for this, I think it's a harbinger, you know, of something. You know, you know, Hazal say that uh, that Purim is <laughs> all the Yom of Masidim was Batel.
1: yeah, except for Purim.
0: Except for Purim, and you know, this has this has uh, perplexed many people. What is it about right. Purim that it happened that it has this? It's going to be on forever, like you know these other holidays. You know they're shunted to the side; we don't really get right. involved with in them. And Purim somehow, you know, it, it is forever. You know, so you know, it, it might be that Purim sort of has in it, you know, this this sense of of world. Uh, right. It's like a world global holiday. The other holidays really don't occur, you know, in what we call the civil all through the civilized world. The other holidays are really about. A very specific, unique to us and the experience that's
1: occurring to us. I never thought of it that way. It's a very interesting take, given the, you know, given the expansive territory involved. Also, what's interesting is the great victory in the Purim story is not Webers rescinding his death decree against the Jews, but issuing another decree which says the Jews can defend themselves, right? So it tells you something about the inner political dynamic and power structure of an empire. So you know, all that was needed was for the ability of the Jews to defend themselves, which is exactly what's right, but,
0: but when but, but hang on. It, part of it is, is, is what real politics means. Once that was given, oh, all these, you know up until this point, the the uh, uh, the would-be uh, stormtroopers, they decided not to show up. On right. that, that day, so many times it's reading where the governments are doing. It's it, it's it's the political thing. Oh, now the Jews can defend themselves. Does that mean we want to be on the right side or the wrong right, right. side? Right. So, but by doing that, look, it would have we God could have done anything. But it's clear to me that as as the Pusik says, Rabbi may amar misyadim right now i don't think that means that it was like madonna deciding i'm esther right or it could be right. something like that i think part of it is oh the jews are on the good side oh right. these They're people powerful. are good yeah. yeah yeah you know what <laughs> we like them and therefore people dropped out and and that really shows you and again uh, the, the what what a, a, a strong leader who is in control of whatever those 127 seventeenists are can send messages that even though, like you say, it's ironic, he <laughs> can't just say it's over, but hmm, let's read what he's saying. What does that mean? Does that mean Jews are good? Or we're not going to get involved in that. We're not going to be involved in, in mass murder. And, 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 and instead of the whole planet engaging in mass murder, or at least the civilized part of the planet, what happened instead was a bunch of yahoos, I mean, still with 75,000, decided they were going to go ahead with the plan. And they were you know, put out. Um, right. So I think it does have, in a way, a, 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 as you say, and thank you for the compliment, but it does have relevance today in ways that, you know, you'd see a smitzrayim is okay, are we going to watch the Ten Commandments over Bézak or not? Like, it doesn't, like, like, like it, it doesn't have that, whereas Purim really has a dynamism and a relevance that can really be, you know, you know seen even today. That's
1: true. <laughs> I have to, unfortunately,
0: get... so. On that note, on that note of uh, satisfaction and haskoma from the great emeritus rex, we'll say uh, take care, everybody. Chodesh tov, and let's be marma besimcha. Be well. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.